said was your worst job, uh, worst chore, worst thing you've had to do, my guess is that it was because it was either boring, it was either stressful, it was either just like really easy and you didn't have to try very hard. Um, I bet, think about it, was it boring, was it stressful, was it just too easy and you weren't challenged, were you too challenged? Or maybe it was just gross, it was gross, like Asha's job. I've had to clean a lot of toilets and that's, I think gross is a form of stress, wouldn't you say? It's a form of stress. So I think all the jobs and the things that we dislike probably come into those categories. And so today as we look at the story of Jesus and the distinct way that Jesus wants to relate to his followers, who we call his disciples, the people who were following him then, and then us, who are trying to follow Jesus today, the disciples, Jesus has a very specific way of relating to them. And, and I would say that the specific, the words I would use for it is that Jesus wants to empower them. Jesus wants to empower his disciples, including all of us, empower them to live out the words that he speaks, to live out the works that he's done, and to live into the ways that he is a leader. And he wants to empower us. Now, would you use the word empowerment for what it felt like in that job? No, nobody would. It did not feel empowering to try to stay awake at 6 a.m. It did not feel empowering to try not to throw up as I watched people go down the water slide. That was not empowering. So it's something distinct that Jesus wants for us as his followers to live lives that are empowered. I want to put this slide here on the screen. To be empowered to what I just said, by the Holy Spirit, we often talk about how Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit. We're always talking here at Mill City about being empowered by the Holy Spirit. Empowered to do what? To live according to what Jesus said, to do the works or do what Jesus did, and to love like Jesus modeled in these ways. The words, the works, and the ways. I'm going to say this a few times today, so just cement this in your head. Jesus invites us to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live into the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus. So most of us would probably say that is not what we experienced in those jobs. But here's my question I want us to sit with today, every one of us. Would you say that at this moment in your life, you don't have to answer this out loud, would you say that in this moment in your life you feel empowered by Jesus? Would you, would you say that you feel empowered by the Holy Spirit? Because I would say that at this moment in our lives, a lot of us might not say yes to that. So if you feel like unsure, then you're not alone. I've had times in my life that felt like my whole life was like the 6 a.m. watching people in the pool. Like I'm just watching life go by. I'm not feeling empowered at all. I've had seasons in my life that felt like my whole life was like cleaning a bunch of toilets that are super stressful and gross and I just can't, I just don't even want to keep doing it. Maybe that's how you felt. Maybe you felt stressed. Maybe you feel like that right now. So as I ask this question, are you experiencing life as an empowered follower of Jesus? If you say no or not really or I'm not really sure, then what I want for you today is to not feel any shame about that at all because you're not alone. But I do believe that Jesus invites us to live in a way that we could answer yes. Yes, we feel empowered by the Holy Spirit. We feel empowered the way that Megan and Steph just talked about to step into the spaces that God's calling us into and feel empowered. So if you don't feel that way today, that's okay. But I want you to hold that tension with me as we talk about this passage today. So as we look at this passage, we're going to look at when Jesus called some of his first followers, his first disciples. So when we talk about Jesus' leadership and his empowerment, we often use the phrase discipleship, don't we? 
And so I want to put a definition of the word discipleship on the screen before we read about Jesus calling the disciples. A disciple in the ancient biblical world actively imitated both the life and the teaching of their teacher. They actively imitated both the life and the teaching. So that's why I'm using this phrase, the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. We're invited to step into all of those things. So let's look at the beginning where Jesus is calling his first disciples. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in John 1. We're going to look at verse 35. Now John the Baptist, uh, Jesus' cousin, has gone before him. And there's some people who are following John the Baptist because he's saying, I'm preparing the way for the Messiah, for the Lamb of God. He uses that term here. So this is where we're picking up the story, where John has some disciples, and they're beginning to hear about Jesus. Now, on the screen here, if you're following along, I have underlined some things I want you to pay attention to as we go through the reading, okay? First, John 1, verse 35. So the next day, John, the Baptist, was there again with two of his disciples near Jesus. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? I, I love this about Jesus. <laughs> so they're following him, and he's like, whoa, hey, what's up? What, <laughs> what do you guys want? And they say, rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he says, come, and you will see. So they went, and they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who had heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. And the first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which means, which is when translated is Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, Follow me. He just does it, right? Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Okay, just stop for a minute. Imagine that. I grew up in Brooklyn Park. What if somebody was like, Who's the pastor there? Brooklyn Park, can anything good come from there? Yes, it can, all right? So here, this is what's being asked. Okay, so can Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathaniel's a little cynical. Some of us can relate. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Once again, Nathaniel, a little bit defensive. How do you know me? Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip had even called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than that. Jesus is like, hold my wine glass. You are going to see greater things than that. I just saw you under a tree, man. That's nothing. And then he added, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So we'll stop there. So we see in this story over and over, did you notice? Come and see. Follow me. Come look for yourself. Come check this out. I think I've seen this Jesus guy. Come check this thing out. Now, why would these people just drop everything and follow Jesus when he says, come follow me? Well, 
Yeah, it's hard for us to understand, but in that context, for the ancient Hebrew culture, if a rabbi invited you to follow them, that would have been considered a great honor. And it was a very honor-based culture. And so you would say, yes, right away. And your parents would say, yes, go, that's an honor. And so they'd follow this rabbi. So being invited to be a disciple was a very precious invitation. It was a very meaningful invitation. But being called to follow a rabbi means you're leaving everything behind because you're not only coming to learn the teachings of that rabbi, but what? Also their way of life. You're not just learning their words, but their works and their ways. So is it a great invitation? Yes, but it's also a huge challenge. For instance, we just read about Jesus speaking to Peter, right? Jesus meets Simon, and he says, your new name is Peter, which is, means rock. So he's like, cool nickname. It means rock. All right, so when in Hebrew culture, when someone gave you a new name, that was a special moment. Once again, hard for us to understand, but maybe you can hearken back to uh, Abram being renamed by God as Abraham and Sarai being renamed Sarah. This was an important thing. And so Peter was getting affirmed. This was a part of his special invitation. But if you followed Peter's story, which you can when you read through the Gospels, you'll see that it wasn't just all warm fuzzies for Peter, was it? There were some huge challenges awaiting him and everyone else if they were going to truly be disciples of Jesus. Being empowered by Jesus starts with an incredible invitation, but it includes a pretty deep challenge. And it wouldn't be fair to say that it's only an incredible invitation without also saying the story of God shows us that it's also a challenge. Some of you are brand new to Mill City. Some of you have come in the last year or two. But those of you who have been with us for a while, you know that, that talking about invitation and challenge or supporting and challenging is a, is a deep part of our culture. And there's a, a diagram that my friend Mike Breen taught me years ago now, and we talk about it here at Mill City a lot. So if this is new for you, I want you to, to lean in and pay attention to this because it's really important. And I also need you to go back in your brain through all those weird jobs you've had, okay? Can you start thinking about the jobs you had in high school, maybe in college, uh, maybe the chores that you've gotten if you're a younger person? Think about all those things. That's going to help us to understand this. So Jesus' way of discipleship is both invitation or maybe you could think of that as supporting, affirming, but it's also challenge. And that combination of both the support and affirmation and the challenge is what leads to empowerment. And here at Mill City, what we're often saying is, we don't want to just be people who go through the motions. We want to be people who are empowered. We want an empowerment culture together as a community as we move forward. So let me use this diagram to kind of explain this to you. We'll have it up here on the screen. And I'll, you, I'll explain it for people who maybe can't see it. So what this is is a quadrant. There's four boxes. And at the top it says the Jesus way of discipleship. And at the top of the line it says high invitation or high support, high affirmation. And then down here it says low invitation. Now over on that side, far from me, it's low challenge. Coming over to your right, it is high challenge. And what I want you to think about, think about these jobs, people who have learned this before, I want you to participate. So let's look first at what if you were to be somebody who is in a space, like a job, where it's low invitation and high challenge, okay? Low invitation and high challenge. Would that feel stressful to you? When you have to clean up the toilets that have overflowed from the urinal that won't stop running, and you have to walk through the urinal water to figure out how to turn it off, that happened to me once, that is stressful, 
That is not very affirming and supportive, but that is very challenging, in my opinion. Has anybody else had a job like that that felt that way? How else would it feel? Stressful? Any other words you'd use for it? People have said frustrating, demoralizing, right? Okay. Now, think about a job that is high invitation, very supportive, very affirming, but it's not very challenging. Has anybody had a job like that? What, did, what was it, KJ? Administrative work. You're like, boop, 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 I'm doing it, thank you. People are saying thank you all the time, and you're like, cool, I just typed stuff. I can actually do more than that. I'm actually a little more talented than a typing person, right? So that would feel a lot of different things, but the word I want to use is cozy. It's just comfortable, right? People don't stay in cozy jobs very long, at least not people like you guys. I know you don't because you're just like, what am I doing here? I can do more than that. And, you know, if somebody has something more challenging for KJ, you let her know because she's ready to do it. And that is what I mean. Like, it's, it's good. It feels like maybe a back rub, but at some point you're like, can we just be done with the back rub? Like, that's good. Can I, I can do more than this. Okay. Now, if there's a time in which you are experiencing low invitation, not very affirming, not very supportive, but it's also not very challenging. This is how I felt at the pool. I'm like, this is not hard, but this is, I guess I, it was challenging that I couldn't keep my eyeballs open, but it's just boring. My friend, one time I was, I was talking about this with some people, and my friend said the, the job that she would say was low invitation and low challenge to the max was when she was in a small town on the border of South Dakota and Minnesota working in a gas station, and she, on average, had four cars a day. That is not challenging, and that is not affirming because you are bored out of your mind. So you've got these experiences when you have this, these types of environments, cozy, boring, stressful. Most of those worst jobs, I bet, fit in one of these categories. Could you put them in the category? Think about it in your head. But when we have a high invitation, very supportive and affirming, and high challenge, that is when it leads to feeling empowered. That is what it looks like, that combination. So some of you are like, we know this, Pastor Steph. We talk about this here at Mill City. If you are new to us, I just want you to cement this into your mind. Because everything we do here is about trying to figure out how to be people who are empowered people, stepping into the words and the works and the ways of Jesus. Now, one more important thing to pay attention to before we move on from this diagram, and that is when you are in an experience in your life, say not, not just your job, not just your faith, but your overall life feels stressful. Has anyone felt like their overall life feels stressful lately? You can raise your hand a little bit. Yep, whoop, couple of hands, whoop, felt a little stressful. Sometimes we move then into a cozy space because it's so stressful. We move to a cozy space when it comes to our faith because we're so overwhelmed. And so we move into that cozy place and that's okay maybe for a little while, but then Pastor Steph's like, I want you to be empowered and you're like, great. So all I have to do is to move from empowered into, from cozy into empowered. This is going to be awesome. But what I have learned from experience is that it actually looks more like this. It looks like you dip down into stress and then you can go into empowered. Because sometimes when you come from the cozy experience, adding the challenge feels stressful. And so sometimes we call this the valley of the shadow of death. But fear no evil because we can make it. We're going to do it. We're going to get too empowered. And I just tell you this to be honest with you, that all of us have found a spot in our life where we've said, in my faith, I just want it to be cozy. This is too challenging. And I think Jesus is there for that and is saying, I love you, but I want empowerment for you. 
And so if it feels like when you step into more challenge, a little bit stressful, there's hope that we can get to the space of being empowered again. So put this next slide up. Here's what I want us to take from this text today. I want us to take this with us. When we are empowered, we are empowered to come and see, right? That's the invitation. You see that in the text, come and see. We're empowered to choose, choose, we have a choice, to live the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus. And then to invite other people to come and see. Did you see those three things in the story that I just read? Jesus invites, come and see. And then people come and see, and then he says, oh, there's going to be greater things than this. You just wait. And then the story of these followers of Jesus is that not only do they end up doing the things that Jesus did, but Jesus tells them, you're going to do even greater things. And then we see in, the, in their story in Acts and the rest of the New Testament that the Holy Spirit through them does incredible things through them. But what else do they do? They invite other people to come and to see let me just show you a, a, some slides really quick. When it comes to the words and the works and the ways of Jesus, let's just talk about, so this, sorry, it's getting cut off here. The words of Jesus, just a snapshot. I mean, there are so many, right? If you read through the Gospels, I want you to read through the Gospels and think about the words, the works, and the ways. The words of Jesus, when we live according to what Jesus has said. My sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus says, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my Father I have made known to you. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. Do you see the invitation and the challenge in the words of Jesus? If you love me, then you will keep my commandments. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Do you see both invitation and challenge in the words of Jesus? All right, let's look at the works of Jesus. Just a snapshot, remember, of the whole story. We do what Jesus did. Jesus fed and clothed people in need. Jesus proclaimed justice for the oppressed and freedom for the captive. Jesus offered healing for physical, emotional, and spiritual wounds. Jesus gave radical forgiveness. Jesus conquered death on the cross and offered us salvation and then invites us to pass it on. Do you see both challenge and support, both affirmation and challenge in these words, both invitation and challenge. Finally, let's look at the ways of Jesus. We're invited to love like Jesus modeled. Jesus engaged with those who were different than him, even if it had previously been forbidden, like with the woman at the well. Jesus elevated women and children when society did not. Jesus loved his enemies and prayed for those who persecuted him. He was friends with people that other people disapproved of. He spent time with those who were considered outcasts, and he was generous to the point of giving up his whole life. Do you see the invitation and challenge both in the ways of Jesus? And we're invited to live into those three things, to be people who live according to the words, the works, and the ways of Jesus. And when we do that, it leads to that final question. Will we invite other people to come and see? Let's talk about that for a minute. Will we invite other people to come and see? You see that in the text that I read, right? That as soon as these people see what Jesus is about, this guy knew I was under the fig tree. Cool, Nathaniel. Okay, but he's like, come and see this guy. He knew I was sitting under that tree, and he says he's got cooler things that he can do. They're saying, come and see. And what I want to say about that is that it's true in this season of life. I'm going to be the first person to admit this. In the culture that we live in, 
and the world that we're experiencing today, isn't it difficult at times and feel challenging, very challenging, to be people who share our faith authentically? Not at me if you feel that way. I, I feel like it feels challenging to authentically share our faith in the time that we're in. But what do we see here in this text? We see what I want to call the come and see posture. A come and see posture. And I wonder in our lives if one of the ways we've been taught to share our faith is not so much of a just come and see, like this is my life. Come and see this Jesus guy. I'm going to tell you about him. If we're in a relationship, I'm probably going to talk to you about it. But instead we've been told, no, you need to make an intellectual argument probably on Twitter, and there's only so many words you can use there. Have we seen a posture that sometimes, instead of come and see, looks more like, here's some examples, argue and convince, scare and warn. Have you seen that posture? How about shame and condemn? And some of us have experienced and maybe participated in prove wrong so that I can win. These are postures that I know are familiar to me. I see them around me. And times I've even participated in them in my past. And I think that those postures really mess with us. When we see Jesus offering this come and see posture, this invitation to say, come and see what this life is all about. So this this posture is something we take with us wherever we go. When you're building relationships with people, I'm not talking about bait and switch. What is Jesus calling us to do? to get to know people and to love them, to love God and love our neighbor as ourselves. That is the goal. And if we love them well and we get to know them, what will we do? We'll share our life with them. And if you're sharing your life with somebody, it'd be pretty weird, and if it was an authentic relationship, if they never heard that the deepest relationship in your life is with Jesus, and that's what you're trying to live out. It'd be like me getting to know somebody for a year, and after a year, they find out, I saw on Facebook you're married. You never talked about your husband. That's so weird. It would be weird. And so we're just talking about when we're in authentic relationships, can we be come and see people? So let me give you one example from my life, and and, and that will just be like an example for me. But I want you to think about it in your own life. What does this come and see posture look like wherever you find yourself? Because that's what Jesus modeled for us. So here's my example. Uh, You might have noticed, if you haven't yet, that I have a few tattoos. And that means I have spent a lot of time with my tattoo artist. She is an incredible person, you guys. I am in awe of her, and I would now say that she is one of my friends. She is brilliant. She is so smart. I respect her so much. She's so interesting. She's so talented, and I, just, I actually just love spending time with her, and so we're going to figure out if I have to keep paying for that or if we can be actual friends, all right? And she's made it very clear to me in our relationship that she grew up Seventh-day Adventist in the Seventh-day Adventist church experience, and now she would identify herself as an atheist. And I totally respect her for that. I I respect her, and I'm so thankful that she felt that she could tell me that. Now, of course, I told her that I was a Christian, and I told her I was a pastor, because that was like, how do you even know me if you don't know I'm a Jesus follower? And it was hard to keep that a secret if I wanted to keep it a secret, since I was like, can we do like an image of Revelation 21 on my forearm? And then maybe we can have this picture that depicts the, the lion, the witch, in the wardrobe, and you can hide a little Aslan in there. That kind of dorky stuff, you can't hide it, you know? It was kind of like, here I am. But she'd already told me that that's her, her posture, that she said, well, I'm an atheist, but yeah, I can do that. I can do a little Aslan for you. That's fine. Now, this is the moment that you check your agenda, right? What is the point? And my agenda, I have one. What is my agenda? 
My agenda is to be somebody who loves this person well, especially when she tells me the pretty horrifying stories that she's had with people who say they follow Jesus. People who have been super judgmental, hateful, spiteful towards her and people that she loves. Whoa, my agenda is to be somebody who is loving but also honest and real. Just be my actual self. And so I tell her stories. She asks me questions all the time. I tell her stories about all of you. And she finds you all fascinating. And she's so inspired by you and the things that we do at Mill City that she has done a personal fundraiser for Every Meal, the nonprofit that we've helped start, because she's got this platform as an artist and she's raised all this money for, for, for this organization that we helped birth. She's so inspired by it. She says she wants to meet you. And I told her, you know that probably means you have to come to church to meet these people. And I think we've been friends long enough that she just might come and meet you all sometime. But get this, one time she asked me this question. She said, I'm curious, why would somebody want a little figurine with a, with a dead person on, on it? Why, why do some Christians have a cross with a dead Jesus on that? Why would somebody want to put a dead person on the wall? She asked me this question. And so I, I explained to her, I said, the death of Jesus is really meaningful for Jesus' followers and for Christians. Um, but, but at some churches, of course, she's talking about the crucifix that's popular and common in Catholic churches. I said, well, some churches like ours, we have a cross that we don't have like a, a Jesus on the cross because we're, we're so inspired by the fact that he died, but he came back to life and he was resurrected. And so we have a cross that doesn't have Jesus on it because he came back to life. And I kid you not, she stopped the tattoo gun and she looked me in the eye and she goes, wait a minute, Jesus is alive? I, this is the, I kid you not, somewhere in this very, her words, devastating experience growing up religious, she'd missed the fact that Jesus had come back to life. And so I got to explain to her what we appreciate and what the resurrection means for us. I got to just explain that to her so clearly. Do you see how... I'm just answering her questions. We're just being friends. I'm giving her the, the natural response to say, come and see. You know, this is my life. And guess what? When she says, come and see and learn about her life, I learn about it. At this point, I would say she's got a pretty clear understanding of what the gospel means, according to us and what I think. And I'm not sure she's ever going to make that, that choice herself. And once again, that's not my agenda. My agenda is to love her. But she did tell me, she said, you're shaking my atheism. And I was like teasing her and I was like, so you're saying there's a chance. <laughs> and then, you guys, I, she told me this. She said, uh, when clients come in to get tattoos, and she said multiple times people have said to her that they're walking away from the church. They don't know if they can be a, a Jesus follower anymore. They don't know what they think about Jesus. And she says to them, she told me this, she says to them, okay, listen, before you quit, you got to talk to my friend, Pastor Steph, and she will help you find Jesus again. This is what she's explaining to these people in her life. Come and see what Jesus has done for me. Come and see what Jesus could do for you. So we're left with these three questions. Put them up on the screen. Will we come and see? That's the invitation. Will we live the words and the works and the ways of Jesus? That's the challenge. And will we invite other people to come and see, which is what Jesus' encouragement to us to make disciples. So I'm going to tell you this. I think this is nearly impossible, if not impossible, to do on our own. You notice that the disciples in God's story are never alone. They've got people that they're following Jesus with. And so that's what community is all about. And for us here at Mill City, we have every year, except for maybe this last fall because of everything that was going on, we have helped 
create spaces for intentional discipleship. And we're going to do that again this fall. And I even have a, a slide here where you can sign up right now to be the first people, get out your phone, to be the first people to know what that's going to look like, to step into intentional discipleship this year. But whether you step into what we're going to be doing together as a church, what we're supporting and what Steph and Megan were talking about, who are your people? Maybe it's just people in your life, but you got to have some people that you're going to be disciples with. This following Jesus thing doesn't work by ourselves. And so grab the people in your family, grab your roommates, but find those people, and we, will, we would love to help you do that. And you can just head to our website, millcitychurch.com discipleship. We're so excited to give those resources again. It's been 10 years, I think, that every fall we have connected people with intentional discipleship. Why? Because we want this to be an empowerment culture. I'm going to have the band come up, and I want to... I want us to end by reading some of Jesus' words again. And these are, these are maybe, in my mind, the most invitational and challenging words of Jesus, if I could suggest that. And it's in Matthew 16. He says, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Being a disciple means that we imitate both the teachings and the life of Jesus. And what did Jesus do with his life? He, he gave it up. He gave it away. And then he invites us to lose our lives, but not to death on a cross, but lose our lives by giving it to him. And then Jesus promises, I will give you life to the full in John 10.10. 10. If you lose it, I'm going to give it back to you, but better than you could imagine, and it will be an empowering experience. It won't be easy, but it will be a life empowered. So these are the questions we have. Will we say yes to being a disciple of Jesus? And it starts by making ourselves available. And so these last couple songs of worship are just about making ourselves available to Jesus. We don't have to understand it all, but when we make ourselves available, we receive that invitation and that challenge from Jesus to step into what it means for us to be empowered disciples in our lives. Let me pray for you before we go into our time of worship. Jesus, we come to you as people who don't have it all figured out. Some of us are confused, disoriented, some of us are liking feeling cozy. Some of us are stressed. Some of us are bored. Jesus, help us know what it looks like to be empowered by you. Invite us. Challenge us. And right now in this, this couple minutes of songs, help us to open our hearts to you and make ourselves available to you. To open up our hands and to give you our life. Not, not just some of it, but all of it. The things that we're proud of, the things we're ashamed of, everything in between to lose our life to you so that we can receive the life you have for us. Lead us in this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.